I'm Seth. And I'm Jonathan. And welcome to No Experts Allowed. You know what we love? The Bible. You know what we don't love? When people use the Bible to scare or hurt others instead of allowing it to transform them and their communities. So we're trying something different. Two Bible nerds hosting a podcast that isn't about technical details, but is about two simple questions. What's the story and what's the point? One of us will prepare for the conversation. Let's call them the non-expert. The other will respond to the story as they hear it. We'll call them, and you, the storyteller. So we can show you that you don't need to be an expert to hear the Bible speak to our world. Join us. Let's tell a good story today. Hey, Jonathan. How are you? I'm doing all right, Seth. Excited to be with you. I'm excited to ask you this question. Oh, man, we're getting right into it again. I can't wait. Here we go. What would you do in this particular situation? Would you want to keep the siblings you have or keep the siblings you have but add 10 more? So either way, you keep your siblings. I'm not asking you to choose between your real family (laughs) and an imaginary but larger family. So you get you get them. No, I think I'm happy. I'm happy with the family that I have. The siblings that I have by blood, my brother Daniel and my sister Rebecca, and the many siblings that I have because of marriage, including Christopher, Kristen, Sarah, Larry, and Beth. I'm grateful for my siblings, and I don't want 10 more of them. There's enough of them already. <laughs> But you're an only child. Yeah. I so am. is this just do you, do you want ten siblings or not? <laughs> yes, That's what this question is. What the question is. <laughs> I think I do. I think that would have been that would have been wild. That'd have been fun though. That's when you have to have like the like the small bus. Like you moved like beyond <laughs> the SUV. You know, you have to like, have like a bus. Somehow like that very specialty specific van. Yeah. That... <laughs> That's amazing and still costs like $65,000, yeah, exactly. but it's just a big van. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Gosh. Yeah, that'd be fun, though. I mean, wild. But you'd have a lot of memories. What sports team do you think you would form with your siblings? Like, assuming you were all of an age where you could play the same sport together, Curling. what would you play? Curling? <laughs> I so love it. <laughs> You'd sit six out. Yeah. <laughs> like you wouldn't we could play rotate. baseball. <laughs> yeah, Drew sit six out. <laughs> the Roseman curling team. I like it. Yeah, I, I love to watch curling. See, my siblings and I all played the same positions in the same sports. I, w- I was farther behind. I'm 10 years younger than my brother and 12 years younger than my sister. But when it came down to it, we all played goalie and soccer. We all played large person in basketball <laughs> and then like mostly played first base in baseball or softball. So I don't think we'd form a very good team. No, that's of anything. what I was just going to say. You have too much overlap. Well, let's see. Anyways, let's... I hope there's some sports in today's reading. Yeah, there? let's see. Let's see. Okay. Let's <laughs> just see have to read and find out, I what guess. What sports they were playing first century <laughs> Palestine. Okay. 
I'm guessing it was curling. Anyways, this is Mark chapter 3, beginning in verse 20. Then he went home, and the crowd gathered again, so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, He is out of his mind. And the scribes who came from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Beelzebul, and by the prince of demons he casts out the demons. And he called them to him and said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then, indeed, he may plunder his house. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven, the children of man. And whatever blasphemies they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying, he has an unclean spirit. And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside they sent to him and called him, And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside, seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Hmm. Really interesting passage today. Excited to dig into it. But first, I really need you to explain yourself as to why you chose the English Standard Version. Okay, I don't have a good reason, except I wanted to tell a story about it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Honestly, I feel better about it then. I mean, I I will address the translation. I'm not a huge fan of the ESV, only because I think most of its language is relatively similar to the nrsvs except it also doesn't use inclusive language so at that point my default is just to use the nrsv which i think is is more helpful and more inclusive right but the story i wanted to tell is i got blocked on twitter by pastor mark driscoll because he had Mm -hmm. a picture of him holding a bible that he said his wife gave to him 30 years ago. And on the spine, it said English Standard Version, which is interesting because the English Standard Version came out in 2001, which is only 20 years ago. <laughs> and I just I just pointed that out. I thought <laughs> I, was, I was speaking the truth. I don't know how we had this Bible 10 years early, but he didn't like that. He couldn't handle the truth. So he just blocked me. What? <laughs> it's like, okay. It sounds like you were being very gracious and generous and trying to point out his mistake in a very public platform. <laughs> I mean, I think it could have been a typo. He could have just said, oh, I meant 
20 years ago. And I like, what was I going to say? I was going to be like, no, uh, I know when your wife gave you that Bible, I would just would have to say, oh, okay. But no, instead he just blocked me. So now I definitely feel like I'm right. That's my vindication. I know, yeah. I know I'm on the right path. Well, glad to know we had such a good reason to engage this translation today. You and your Twitter wars. What is wrong with you? Stop. Stop. Get it roasted by Chance the Rapper, blocked by Pastor Mark. I don't think there are two more different people that you could have been, like, negatively responded to on Twitter. See, I like Twitter because it, it's my combative style. You can get in and get out real quick. <laughs> like you could just land like a blow and then get away <laughs> it's the real squirrely version of, yeah. of verbal debate exactly yeah. <laughs> Gosh. well back to the ESV is there anything that stuck out to you is there anything you wanted to mark as you were going through stop it so I think for me the persistent question that arises from this text is talking about blaspheming against the Holy Spirit, thinking about what that means, the fact that there's an eternal sin that never has forgiveness. It's just like, what is that connection to this passage? Also, this is the most Mark passage that ever marked. (laughs) Yeah, true. (laughs) Because Jesus' name I don't think is in here. And it's probably just because of where the passage starts and stops, but there's just so many he's and him's that I'm so confused <laughs> in the middle of it. But I'm pretty sure it doesn't, I, at least in the ESV, Jesus' name isn't in this passage, even though he is the central character in the passage. So that's what I mean by it's the markest mark to ever mark, because <laughs> it's just, I know you probably disagree with me, but it's like, it's poorly written. <laughs> I do think that his Greek is not very good. But I love that he adds on the first line. I didn't even notice this till you read it. That they went home and the crowd gathered again so they couldn't even eat. I was like, that's an amazing detail. Dad, like, they couldn't even have dinner. Like, that's how many yeah. people were there. I was like. And that explains, maybe that maybe that's why Jesus got so harsh is because he was hangry. Yeah. But. <laughs> Like, what a classic Mark detail, too. That section about the unforgivable sin, oh, it's just so interesting to me. I I remember hearing this when I was, like, really young and being like, oh, no. What if I committed the unforgivable <laughs> sin? What if that's, what if that's me? Hmm. I, think I, I think I asked my dad. And he was like, you know, I don't, I don't know what the unforgivable sin is, but I think if you're that worried about committing it, you're good. (laughs) 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 You know, like the idea was like, if you're super worked up about whether you're doing it, you're probably okay. That's fair. I think about that. And doesn't it, doesn't it feel like this feels like the ultimate underminer and qualifier to like every theological statement that I hold most true about God. It's like, there's nothing you could ever do that will make God stop loving you. Except there's one thing. (laughs) It feels, it just feels like it's thrown, it's throwing a wrench into any sort of attempt to make some like 
systematic theology that is centered around God's love and grace rather than God being a punisher. (laughs) (laughs) It stands out, and it stands out too that like it's contrasted right against this passage about you know Satan can't fight Satan. But I guess it's a question of blaspheming, like. Yeah, I wondered in my in my like second, third, fourth reading of this, if if the very end of that that short section about the the unforgivable sin, if that's not the hint that they were saying Jesus has an unclean spirit, I'm still not entirely sure what to make of it. But I just wonder if it's not being so far off in your estimation of who Jesus is and what Jesus can do. That even if it's not unforgivable, because I don't want to say that in my theological system, you're, you are clearly barking up the wrong tree. Like you're clearly so far off. You've missed something so, so key to who jesus is that you need to rethink it's that little line for they were saying he has an unclean spirit that makes me wonder if if that's mark like trying to tie those together what they said about jesus and jesus got a strange comment you look so deep in thought sorry i wanted to i grabbed my (laughs) Uh, analytical concordance oh, yeah. of the New Testament yeah. to find out what the word that's translated as blaspheme also comes up as. Because I th- it's such a religious word, right? Yeah. Like, blasphemy! Basically transliterated from the Greek word, too. Okay. So okay. other times huh. it comes through as the most common are slander, curse, or deride. So it seems like everywhere else this particular word shows up. It's showing up as that idea of slandering, of speaking against someone or something with the intent to undermine it with the intent to cut it down to Mm. misrepresent it Mm. in a way that will have negative effects on whatever you are blaspheming or slandering again i'm 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 admittedly still really uncomfortable with the unforgivable part as well but the fact that that's a consistent message really connects with this passage like you said the fact that they are calling what is actually of God, of Satan, that they are trying to turn people against the spirit. That's what goes beyond forgiveness, at least as it's being argued here. I think you're right, though, that, that the fact that, that for they had said he has an unclean spirit, that's a big, a big clue. Yeah, I like thinking about it as slander. That removes the odd language that is blaspheme. I don't even know the last time I said blaspheme. Because, like, when do we ever use that word, right? Yeah, so it's helpful to think about it. What they're doing is spreading lies and slander. Yeah. About Jesus. And it's stronger that the CEB uses insults. Ah. It's, and slander feels stronger than yeah. that. I don't think insults is as helpful. Sorry, Dr. Powery, who's a former professor of ours who helped translate Mark for the Common English Bible. Maybe we should ask him why he made that choice. Yeah. 
I would love that, actually. Okay, so we did a bit of a deep dive on that, or the connection here to who are my, who are my mother and my brothers. That that's here is very interesting. Yeah, I don't know if there's anything that came across that came through for you as you were looking into this more. What has always struck me about these these pronouncements about who people's family is in all of the gospels is when jesus does it like he'll say oh look here's my mother and my brothers and my sisters or he'll say you have a new brother and sister but he never says that you have a new father i always think that's so fascinating Hmm. i just wonder if that isn't like a, a tacit recognition of God as the Father. Hmm. I mean, that really connects to what we were talking about in our last episode, too. About yeah. How people who are of the Spirit are of one family called children of God. Uh, and I don't want to draw too explicit of a connection between Mark and Romans because they were different they're very different and written in different times and places and seasons but it still feels like that theme's coming through in an interesting way huh wow what if i feel like we could dig into this passage a lot more but i want to be mindful of our <laughs> our yeah, we get, capacities in the episode time limit. was there anything else that really stood out to you that you wanted to make sure that you mentioned all I want to say about this is that people will quote that a house divided against itself can't stand and they'll quote Abraham Lincoln but just like we talked about in our last episode Abraham Lincoln is quoting Jesus (laughs) Jesus said it first fair that's all I want to say about that All I can think about with those are when I lived in North Carolina, they always had those flags that said a house divided or like a bumper sticker. And it was like half University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill and half Duke Duke. University (laughs) or like North Carolina, North Carolina State or something like that. So I would say sports reference. (laughs) (laughs) I used to hear this phrase a lot when I lived in Gettysburg because Lincoln used that line in his Gettysburg address right and that's where they they keep attributing it to Lincoln and I'm like well yeah he did say that but he got it from Jesus Christ so yes <laughs> that's all that's all that we had to talk about okay <laughs> well well let's let's help me help me then get to some application what do you think the point of this passage is or a point this goes along with what we talked about last week But I'm so struck by that last section in which Jesus first is insulted, basically, and then he can be insulted and immediately, like, redefine who his family is. And maybe I shouldn't even use redefine. Maybe I should say that he he expands his definition of family. Mm. Because I don't think... Like, he's he's excluding the people who are his biological family. But that he's opening up to all the people who are sitting around him. To all the people who do the will of God. 
man, I just find that so powerful thinking about who, who Jesus sees as his own family. And he can, he can look out at all these people who are there who can't even eat. He can't even eat because they're all there. And he can see all of them as his family. It's this moment too, where it feels like this real big transition as well. of like this crowd just swarming hordes of people so close that they couldn't even sit down for their meal. And then this crowd becomes Jesus's family. You know, it's that transition moment where I don't know what it would have been like to be there, but I'm imagining that hearing that would have been maybe kind of surprising. Like, and the fact that his mom and brothers were coming because of the stuff he was being accused of too. (laughs) It's like, it's saying these connections are not, are not primary right now. There's something different and deeper going on here. And I will say like, I'm mindful of ways that this passage in particular that we're highlighting can be used to honestly in, in spiritually abusive ways to like isolate people from their born or chosen family in the name of devotion to God. But I think there is a very healthy and whole view of belonging in God's family that comes through from this that is not about necessarily rejecting other people in your life, but is saying there is space here. Even when there is no physical space, mm-hmm. Jesus is carving room out for each and every one of us to be part of God's family. I love your connection to this new family and the meal. I think... Mm-hmm. Or at least that it seems like maybe they were about to eat. I just think like that like meals tend to like bring a sort of intimacy. And like so do so does being in a family, I guess. Yeah, it's like it's really quite beautiful. This is the Lutheran in me talking. But it makes me think again about the ways that communion can reinforce who's our family it's always so powerful yeah yeah i agree when i was growing up uh, my church had two kinds of i don't know two ways of doing communion i should say and the one was just called continuous and it's exactly what it sounds like you just keep moving you'd walk up you'd get the bread You'd walk to the side, you'd get the wine, you'd, you'd take the little shot glass, and then you put it in the basket. Then, then you return back. So you could move the whole, the whole time. And then we also had what we called table communion, in which like groups of people would, like your row and then the row in front of you, would like come to the front and you'd kneel at the altar rail. And the, like the pastor would give everybody in the row the bread, and then someone would come out and get give everybody the wine and then you'd all be dismissed like together so you had to stop and you had to be next to the people right there with them Mm. i always found that to be powerful then and i'm thinking about it again now like the ways that that can shape who we see as our family Mm. around that meal 
We didn't do table communion very often because it, it took more time. Is yeah. that interesting? <laughs> like, yeah. Gosh, man, I'm I'm actually really surprised at how how emotional I'm getting thinking about communion and the idea of family too. Just uh, just thinking on how we've missed out on on a lot of that. Yeah. And you know we've our you know our bishop has given our pastors permission to you know administer communion virtually and like we've done we've done the liturgy we've done the act but there's something about in in our in our church when we gathered in person we we did communion every sunday and and that's part of our tradition that i had not experienced before you know i grew up in traditions where Communion was something we were supposed to do. You know, Jesus did it, so we're supposed to do it. But seeing it as a sacrament, as a means by which God gives God's self to us, taking the ordinary, taking the flour and water and yeast sometimes, (laughs) and the fruit of the field, the grapes, in fermented or unfermented form (laughs) and through that somehow binds us together in such a powerful way it's such a strange mystery but it's also representative of who jesus was and the type of community that jesus built and the fact that Jesus is present with us and continues to give us heaping portions of the divine every time we have that meal. <laughs> it's so profound. And it and it's and it's tough to wrestle with when you think about the ways that our houses of worship feel divided against themselves too. Yeah. Yeah. And what communion means in the midst of those kinds of conflicts. And I think this theme has been running through the past several episodes that our common bind needs to be stronger. Yeah. It's not yeah. to say that the division's not there, that the differences aren't there, but that what holds us together is stronger. And that's a really hard reality to live into sometimes. That was well said. It's a really hard re- reality. That was well said. It's a really hard reality to live into. Yeah, I, mean, I just wonder. This is what we talked. We talked a bunch about this last week. If communion doesn't both bind us and help us move forward and closer to one another, like it does both of them, mm-hmm. right? It already connects us and pushes us forward to connect again or new or in a way that's deeper. Gosh, we need to pray. Yeah, we do. Agreed. Will you pray with me? I'd love that. Jesus Christ, you expand our families to include all those you love. Help us see each other as our family as we commune with them and with you. Make us one so that we are not a household divided against itself. And do all this for your love's sake. Amen. Amen. 
to our listeners. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to subscribe and tune in for our next episode. Jonathan, what story will we tell next week? Next week, we are actually starting something a little new. We're going to take a look at some of our favorite episodes from our first year of podcasting. Can you believe it's been a whole year? We're going to start our favorite series next week while we take a few weeks off. But until then, until we hear from one another again, leave us a review and find us on Twitter and Instagram to continue the conversation. Thanks for walking us through that story, Seth. Thanks for helping me tell it. I'm looking forward to revisiting some of those stories again. <laughs>